Proverbs chapter 10. We um, enjoyed, you know, it's always a blessing to do this anniversary. It's only the second year we've done it, but once a year to combine all three services into one. Wasn't that enjoyable on Sunday? Aside from one minor incident? You know, you, you don't even know how many people go to your church when you have these multiple services. And they all come together. And, you know, I was even seeing people, and I predicted this, by the way. I was even seeing people like, I didn't know you went here because they know each other outside of our church. Like, hey, you go to this church? Yeah, what service do you go to? I go to the third. I go to the first. I go to the second. And I can't tell you how... How overjoyed it is to, to be in ministry here with you guys. You are such a blessing. And to see everyone, to hear the voices. When we were singing initially, and I think it was the, the third song, that song that we love, um, the Lord's Prayer in Swahili, the 23rd Psalm, that our um, friend Ruben wrote. Uh, it's my favorite Swahili song. And to hear you guys sing it without instruments, without our voices into the microphone. You know, Kelsey, I look over and Kelsey was crying. Where is Kelsey? Oh, hi. You know, I looked over and she told me afterwards too, but I saw her before she was crying. And of course the song is beautiful and we're singing to the Lord, but to hear you sing it, all those voices. It's, it's nice in the first and second and third service, but it is not as loud as when you combine all those services into one voice. And something I haven't told Kelsey until now, and I'll tell her in front of all of you, is I too had to stop myself from crying. I was crying. I had to stop crying. And you know, you don't want to cry. I'm just one of those guys. I don't want to cry in front of people, especially my wife. You know, if we're watching a movie, you know, has anybody ever seen that movie, The Patriot, with Mel Gibson, The Patriot? Do you remember when the daughter comes up and she says, she's been silent for years, she won't talk to her dad, and then he's leaving again to go to war and she runs up and says, I'll say anything, just don't go. That's, that's a tough one, guys, not to cry through. You should watch it. But... um. I'm only 37, and I know Bob and Billy can attest to this, but the older you get, it comes on you. You don't want it to come on you. You don't want it. And when you guys were singing Hakika on Sunday, it was involuntary. It was... <gasps> and I had to compose myself. It was... It, it, it is amazing. If... Um, if we could just sing with our voices every time, it's my preferred way of doing it. So I was very blessed by seeing what God has done all these years. Uh, you guys laughed at me watching the video because you saw a 23-year-old Josh in pleated dress pants, baggy. You could have fitted both of our legs in in one. And I, honestly, you look at yourself and you're like, why did I ever look or dress like that? 
And then I've seen some of these guys, these older guys, dress in the 80s. And they wore jean shorts right here to their hip, even Pastor Ken Graves. I'll have to show you some. That means he has no right to ever tell me about how I dress, ever. He had a mullet and jean shorts to hear. And you see what God has done. You guys, um, you saw Franco getting baptized. Now he's like a Cape Buffalo, you know. He, he's also grown. Is Franco here? It's typical. He's abandoning church again. Oh. So it was a blessing. And... Um, we, we just can't believe the hand of God on such a undeserving people. Proverbs 10. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. So rather than me read a whole chapter or half a chapter or a section that fits the context, we kind of come into a new section into the book of Proverbs that will go really till chapter 22 or 23 in its style, you can almost say that the first nine chapters of Proverbs was an introduction to Solomon's writings in the book of the Proverbs here. This introduction. And now he's going to move away from you being paragraphical so he can use a paragraph or two paragraphs or three paragraphs, which is rare in the first nine chapters, but it was done in order to talk about a subject. Um, and that's what he did. He could talk half of the chapter on one subject or an entire chapter on two or three subjects, and that was it. But now as we go in, he's going to move to what are actually Jewish proverbs. Um, one, two sentences that make up the entire proverb. And maybe even in some cases, not all cases, the entire subject. And then he can move on to the next proverb, which is an actually different subject. Um, he does that for many of the chapters now. He's get, he gets into the Proverbs. It is poetry as well. It's Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry is different than even American and Kenyan poetry that is similar, more similar to American than it is to Hebrew. And that is, it doesn't have to rhyme. It is building thought upon thought without rhyming, it's Hebrew poetry. And even more than building thought after thought, it is using contrast, in many cases, the wicked and the righteous. It's using contrast to solidify the truth that it's speaking, to promote the thought that Solomon has. Um, so we enter into a new section in the book of the Proverbs. And and, and that's why it says at the beginning of this first verse, the Proverbs of Solomon, a nine-chapter introduction, which is way longer than the introductions I give on Sunday morning, so I don't feel bad about it anymore. 
It's the Proverbs of Solomon, the first one, and we got to take them one at a time, but I'm not going to spend too long on them because another thing about Jewish um, uh, Proverbs or his poetry and then the Proverbs of Solomon is that it's very explanatory. You have to do a very careful exposition of the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, the book of Hebrews, the upper room discourse. But here, they are very simple thoughts. So we'll try to get through the whole chapter if we can, every time, in some cases even more. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. It's interesting. um, the, and we've been taught this before, but men and women are different. Um, fathers are proud of their son, their children, when they excel. Um, mothers go through grief when their, her, uh, their children are in sin, or whatever the case may be, uh, not following the, their expectations because of how women operate as opposed to men. I don't, I'm trying not to spend too much time deviating from the text, but let me say this. Men, be very careful how you speak to your sons because what you speak into your son's life can set him on a course his entire life if he's not corrected through the truth, especially. When I was growing up, my dad and my mom divorced. My dad was an abusive drunk. At six, seven years old is when they divorced. My brothers became angry. I was the youngest. As the result of this, as the result of this, my brothers would hurt me, particularly one individual. And so when you're six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, 13, you can't fight people who are older than you. Your muscles have not developed enough to be able to really defend yourself. You just get beat up all the time. But when you beat somebody for that long, it's like letting a caged dog out. And something I'll never forget, one of the times unwisely that my mom would let me visit my dad, um, by that time I was 12, 13 years old and I started fighting a lot in school, fist fighting and all of that. And I had gotten in a fight where I shamed a guy and... uh, and, and, and punched him and knocked him out, knocked him on the ground. Well, my brothers told my dad this during the, one of our visits, and I'll never forget, my dad went around in his drunken stupor, going and telling all of his buddies, his construction buddies, my boy knocked this guy out. <laughs> and I remember what that did inside of me. I remember what it did. It caused me to think I could earn the favor of my dad if I beat people up. And it sent me down a road of violence and wanting to impress my dad in those ways. Now, I say that to say this. Of course, give the warning. Men, be careful what you speak into your sons. But when it says that a wise son makes a glad father and a foolish son the grief of his mother, this isn't to say that all fathers are wise and all mothers are unfoolish. 
And I've been very careful to point that out as the Proverbs continually encourage us to honor our father and mother. And in the wicked culture that we are in, there must be a distinction provided, um, a definition, if you will, provided to us on what it means to honor our father and our mother as opposed to obeying the rules and regulations that are against Christ, especially um, that we have to obey our parents even when they say because that's what it means to honor. That is not true. I have never gone through the pressure that you guys go through with your parents. I never have. So I, I, I want to say that if my words ever seemed harsh, that was never my intention. And I'll even explain what I mean by we stand for Israel because it is biblical this coming Sunday, just so you know. It'll be interesting. Even if you disagree, it's going to be a good show, so why don't you come out? Okay, I'm kind of kidding. But, but, but listen... I've never gone through what you guys have gone through in a shame and honor culture. I've gone through tough times with family. Uh, you know, I've, I've been beaten. I've had whiskey poured down my throat when I was seven, literally like a funnel. Um, I've gone through tough times, but I've never in my culture grew up with this, it's almost like a ebb and flow through the air I don't want to say supernatural power because oftentimes we attribute supernatural power to only God, but supernatural power is anything that is beyond the natural. So demonic power is supernatural. Satanic power is supernatural. And I submit to you that in a shame and honor culture, it is very, very incumbent upon parents to make sure that they are giving their children the path of righteousness. Because when they don't, because the shame and honor culture, there's almost like a supernatural wickedness to how we are trained to obey our parents. You do not have to obey your parents when your dad wants you to get drunk with him. You do not have to obey your dad when he's trying to molest you or your uncle or your cousins. You do not have to keep quiet because of a shame and honor culture when you have a family member trying to molest you. This is not what is supposed to happen. You also do not have to, and I know I always go here because this, I will continue to go here as long as this is a subject. As long as this is one of the greatest forms of disobedience in this culture, you do not have to obey your parents if they are forbidding you to marry when that marriage is a godly relationship for the reasons of money. You don't have to obey that. I had a gentleman come to me. He's a friend of ours. He's a member of our church He's been engaged to a woman who also is a single mother, which I'm always blessed 
that men are marrying single mothers. They need husbands too, by the way. And then you don't got to go through one of the things, but anyways, never mind. The, he came up to me on Sunday and he said, we're going to go forward with the marriage because our parents, a particular one side of the parents won't allow us to be married because of financial reasons, so on and so forth. But they said that we should move in together and have children before we get married. So we're moving forward. This has taken him years. Years to move forward. Now I'm proud of him. But back to the text, the point I'm making is just because wisdom makes a glad father and unfoolishness makes a glad mother in contrast or the foolish son makes a sad mother, um, a grieving mother, doesn't mean the, the parents, and this is a very important point, it does not mean that the parents are wise and unfoolish. It means that wisdom itself and unfoolish behavior, wise behavior, creates gladness. It creates joy, which is the opposite of grief. That is the point. And that distinction is very important. It's very important. Even when wicked people, whether they be our parents or other some part of humanity, that people who are in sin are being destroyed and destruction hurts the people sinning or who are sinning. So those who are in darkness and trapped in sin and who are not applying wisdom but applying foolishness, they are not glad, they're not proud of their lives and they're filled with grief. That is a very important point to make. And the reason why is because we need to understand what Christian joy is. What Christian peace is. And what I mean by Christian joy and peace is what does the Bible mean when we say we're going to have happiness, joy, and peace? You understand that the Bible doesn't mean we get more money. That's, that, 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 it's not even in there. Now, it does define money as blessings at times. We've been blessed. The nation of Israel will be blessed. And then it is having that subject of poverty and stuff. So there is a sense we can be blessed. But the joy and the peace that is being discussed in the New Testament comes through knowing Jesus Christ and in knowing him, receiving the righteousness of Christ. Holiness, in other words, produces gladness. And the application of wisdom produces gladness. That is the point. Sin destroys. Sin hurts. Sin puts us into darkness. So, just because some son is being wise and the father is glad doesn't mean the father has wisdom. 
And just because he's being wise and the mother is not grieving doesn't mean the mother is all, also has wisdom. It means wisdom produces gladness and joy when it is applied. It really does. Number two, treasures of the wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness deliver, delivers from death. So the, the treasures of the wickedness is everything that is natural. Um, so the things that we treasure that are natural here on the earth. You know, money can cause so, so much problems. The treasures of the wicked. I remember years ago, I we were, it wasn't about financial difficulty, which we've had, but it was about what do we do with some of the finances we have? And, you know, if we give to everyone asks, we're not going to have any money for ministry. So I, I remember I was driving to Nairobi, and I was looking down, we were up by Burnt Forest, and you know when you get up in those areas, you can look down into the rift, and you can see as far as the eye can see, and there's all these Little houses all throughout the area. Villages, right? And if you've ever seen the movie, The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbits, it looks like the Shire. It really does. You look at it, it looks like the Shire. And I remember looking out and envying those people. Now, I know they have a, a lot of work to do, rough lives. I know they got to go toil in the ground to produce their food. But, man, I, I, I bet... I bet some of these billionaires would drive through there and be like, I'd like to live out there as opposed to be in D.C., Washington, D.C., and dealing with these Democrats. Treasures of the wicked profit nothing? Do they profit anything? No. They profit nothing. In other words, as well... All the money in the world without Christ only leaves you empty. It only leaves you unfulfilled, empty, without meaning, without hope, without purpose. And by the way, the people who do attain treasures on earth know it more than anyone. And how many times have we heard actor after actor, businessman after businessman, you know, Hollywood, Bollywood, Rockefeller, uh, acquire all of this fame and money, and then you interview them, and they sound like the biggest morons the world has ever seen. Have you ever watched some of these athletes give interviews? Have you ever seen NBA Guys, all of a sudden they get a $150 million contract, $490 million contract with Major League Baseball, uh, and, and they can't even talk in front of people. It, it's embarrassing. Or you remember hearing the story of Rockefeller, you know, when was the money you made enough? At what number? And at that point... Uh, this was the uh, first Rockefeller, 1800s, I think it was. And you remember how he made his money? Does anybody? He read the Bible, the Old Testament, 
And he said, if that's where the world population was back then and there truly was a flood only a few short years ago, then that's where all the oil is. Let's go drill. And he went and drilled over there. And he hit oil. (laughs) But when he was asked, how much were you content with? And his answer was really good. He said, a little more. Just a little more. Because money without meaning produces emptiness. The treasures of the wicked profits nothing. But righteousness delivers from death. What we have received in Christ has given us through Christ the victory over death. And think about the guys who have the treasures. They do everything they can, investing all of their treasures just to live a little longer. And some of the stuff that goes on, by the way, you know, I know that some of the movies that are made are, you know, you're like, oh, that's just a movie. But you think about, um, and, and I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm not saying there's not conspiracies. I'm just saying anybody who loves conspiracies uh, more than the gospel it has their priorities mixed up. But what I am saying is there are conspiracies. You, you see that movie, The Island, where they have an entire island where they're cloning people so that these billionaires and millionaires can have their clones so when they need a new heart, they can get one. When they need a new lung, they can get one. When they need a new kidney, they can get one. They just go chop them out of their clones because they are the one who purchased them. These guys... You know, you, 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 you probably don't know the names I'm mentioning, but Woody Allen, that, that genius philosopher who's a movie director, really a bright guy, he's smart. His greatest fear is death. Always has, but I don't know if he's died yet. Has Woody Allen died? Doesn't matter. He better repent really quick because he really has, he hates Jesus Christ and he has made a life of mocking him his whole life. Dangerous. Can you imagine mocking Jesus Christ your whole life only after your death to be in his presence? Judging at the white throne judgment. And listen, he said this about death. He says, I know I'm going to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. He, he, his whole life, he has been terrified of death. So these guys get into dieting and they get into how can we live longer and what does it mean to be? The the world is obsessed with immortality. The world is obsessed with immortality. All these movies about finding the Holy Grail and all this, you drink and you live forever. But the righteous, they've been born again by the righteousness of Christ. They're not afraid of death. No fear in life, no guilt, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. You see? It, so what's really valuable? You're like, Pastor Judge, you know, I could use 100,000 shillings right now. That's the value I want. Well, there's nothing wrong with working hard and making money, but understand that is not the most valuable thing we can get. It's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. It's so valuable. Proverbs 3, or verse 3, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he cast away the desires of the wicked. 
Now you can apply this in the way that God promised us in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, don't worry about your life, what you'll wear, what you'll eat. Um, you know, is not life more than food and clothing and raiment. And then he gives us that encouragement. You know, the birds have plenty, the flowers are clothed and all of that. It could be talking about that, 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 that as we walk uprightly, we, we won't um, be hungry or stuff like that. But listen, I've thought about this deeply. Matthew 6 is a promise to a certain extent. That is to say that God in Matthew 6 is speaking a general promise to his children that we are not going to go without clothes and food, clothing and food. That is not to say that he doesn't have an individual call for somebody to suffer for lack of food and maybe lack of clothing. And let me prove my point. Paul said that he went without food, that he was hungry. Paul had a specific call. And he, because of that call, was imprisoned, was beaten, was without food. You remember him asking, oh, please, um, tell Mark to bring my cloak when he was already in that Roman prison. I'm cold and he's in this dungeon. So I'm not saying it was like, oh, am I that one? No, God has promised everyone in this room that he's going to provide for us. I'm not trying to take away the promise of God. Um, he has. And, 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 and in a way, it's a promise for individual calls and the call because Paul didn't die of hunger, okay? But here... The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but as he cast away the desires of the wicked. The contrast in this Hebrew poetry, the righteous, the wicked, the righteous, the wicked, the buts in between that makes up the, the, the difference in the contrast, it's the desires. The desires of righteousness, when we get that, and we will get that, those who hunger and seek after righteousness will be filled with righteous. The idea is righteousness fills us. We don't famish for lack of being filled, but wickedness empties us. So understand the Christian lingo. When somebody says, I am full, uh, and are full of righteousness, full of joy, those sorts of things. It's not talking about food, and it's not in this context, I don't believe. Righteousness, righteousness fills us. And we know what it was like, many of us, probably most of us, to be emptied out because of wickedness. And of course you can apply the physical. You know, you, you go out to the club one night, you went with some shillings, or dollars, and you wake up the next morning, right? <laughs> it's all gone. You know what I'm saying, bro. <laughs> Where's Joseph? There you are. You know Joseph. You know what I'm saying. It's all gone. I've done it so many times. Wake up. You had money in your pocket. It's gone, and your face is bruised, and you're, you know, somebody took my money. You don't even remember So yes, it empties us physically, but that's not what it's talking about here. You know what it's like to be without meaning. 
without hope. And even, you know what it's like after you get born again to fall into sin and be stripped and feel empty inside. You know, for some of us with this worldwide epidemic, you could say, of pornography. And as a Christian, going and looking at that, what that does to your soul, it empties you in a moment, in a moment's time. But when you're filled with righteousness, real righteousness, you are pursuing righteousness because you were born again. And, and, and you're not born again because you pursued righteousness, but it is the evidence and you're walking towards Christ and you're saying no to the world and no to sin and yes to righteousness. You are filled with joy, even when outward circumstances are not so good. That's what it's talking about. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. He's going to fill us, those who are righteous, but he cast away the desires of the wicked. Verse four, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So now we're getting to some real practical application. We must work. We must work. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent is made rich. Um, if you don't work, you don't eat. I heard it. If you don't work, you don't eat. We got to work hard. You know, how many times have we seen people graduate university? They got a degree in tourism or engineering or, you know, whatever it is. And they can't get a job. What are they holding out for? To get work based on what their degree is. You know how many times I've had people come in? Guys, it's, it's not something I take pleasure in that much. But do you know how much, how many times people have come in and was like, you know, man, I've been looking for a job for two years. Yeah, I graduated university two years ago. I'm like, really? Yeah. Man, can't find any work? None. None. No work. There's no work in Kenya. There's no work in Kenya. And guys, listen, I understand it is hard to find a job in Kenya. I get it. But do you know how many times I'd be like, you know what? I got a job for you today. They're like, really? Yeah, it's like, come out here. They're mixing cement to build this wall. Why don't you join him? He's like, thank you. Thanks, man. There's work in Kenya. And they start mixing cement with a shovel. You got to take the sand. You got to take the rock. Then you got to take that bag of cement and it makes your hands rough and you dump it in and you take water and a shovel and start turning it. A couple hours later, where's Mr. University student? They're gone. And they come back two months later and they say, I can't find a job. There's no work in Kenya. Let me tell you something. For those who are willing to work, I believe God eventually. I'm not trying to classify. I, I know that it's hard to find a job in Kenya. I get it. But I believe God's going to provide for you. I really do. Get your hands rough. You don't need lotiony hands as a man. 
Not unless you work as a doctor, that's fine. If I go shake a doctor's hand, he's been in the office for 40 years, I'm not going to judge him if he doesn't have man hands. But maybe you ought to take a job that is a little less than your idea of what you deserve. We got to work. He who has a slack hand becomes poor. But the hand of the diligent is made rich. When you work hard, you can make money. He who gathers in summer is a wise son, and he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who causes shame. Um, there is wisdom to gathering and being smart with your produce, with your earnings, and with your money so that you can make sure that you have food when it's not time of harvest. So when there's time for work, do it. Um, and and I, I see this in Maine, by the way. There's four to six months of the year where it's really hard to work outside. So a lot of my friends are construction workers and they work out side and they do all that and they gather during that time of harvest so that during the winter they can have money for their families. Blessing, verse six, blessings are, they, uh, are the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. So it's going on with that theme, but now there's another addition to it. You know, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. So there is violence in wickedness. We need to be careful with our mouths. I, I've been convicted of this over the years. Now, I don't think all that Christians deem as inappropriate joking is actually biblically inappropriate, but some sort of culture Christianity. But, you know, oddly enough, I watched uh, something today where there was these like famous people who are now in prison for pedophilia. And they say, in hindsight, now that they're in prison for pedophilia, we can look back at the things they said in different interviews, joking around about sexual perversity. Very interesting. So they're in prison now for pedophilia. That should have been a red light when they were joking around about young girls during the interview of 2007. And everybody laughs on like David Letterman or something. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And guys, I see it in the church and it disturbs me. Uh, I, in our church here, I'll walk and I'll see young people looking at their phones. They'll be looking at, you know, pictures of girls. Now, I'm not talking about nudity. I haven't seen any of that, but it's like, what are you, what, what, what are you looking at? Oh, nothing. It's like, you were just scrolling through the pictures of Hollywood actresses. I saw you, I, and I've seen that. I'm not just talking about a story recently. I've seen that years, for years. Now, or they're, they're doing these things. Guard your heart without all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Tra trash in, trash out. Don't let that trash into your, your mind and heart. 
Violence is not too far around the corner. And when you start letting sexual perversity, you know, you think about all the rape in Kenya. I hear it all the time. And many of you have experienced what has gone on. It's violent. It's violent for somebody to come into your room at night, grab you and force themselves is violent. Violence comes from these people. The mouth of the wicked, I, it, it, it is a violent mouth. It is a violent wickedness. Verse seven, the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Now, when they keep on talking about these contrasts of righteous and wicked, understand the righteousness is imputed to us because we all have probably wicked memories. So don't think for a moment here that in verse seven, when it says the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot, that you have a background of wickedness and your memory is always torturing you. Yeah, those who have been really good have good memories. And those who have been really bad have bad memories. And they're full and we're empty. And they're blessed and we're cursed. No. What, what it's saying here is the memory of the righteous is blessed. Righteousness is imputed to us. It, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So though we have a past of sin, when we repent and are forgiven and born again, that even the memory of those things solicits joy because we've been forgiven of them. So it's not saying that those who've been really righteous are filled with good memories. No, even the wickedness that we did gives us joy because of the imputation of righteousness. And our memories can even be good because of that righteousness been given, because of that forgiveness that has been offered. I don't want you to walk away as like, yeah, I have terrible memories. I've done terrible things too. But God has forgiven me. And the righteousness of Christ clothes me. Verse 8, the wise in heart will receive commandment but a pratting fool will fall. The Proverbs up, um, in, in these first nine chapters have mentioned that um, uh, to rebuke a wise man, he'll love you for it. To rebuke a fool, he'll hate you for it. Um, wisdom is always growing in us, not in God, because he's all wise, he's all knowing. But because of our finite minds, we must increase in wisdom. The Bible will make mention of certain individuals increasing in wisdom and stature, it would say. So as they grow, as from a boy or a girl to an adult, they're increasing in wisdom. I remember when I got born again when I was 21. How foolish. Now, because I'm a guy... I thought I was smart. You know, there's that old country song, I knew more at 17 than I know now. And you know, he's an old man. It's because when you're 17, you think you know everything. When I was 21 and having that, that pride, the moment that you start walking with Christ, you kind of realize, well, 
how much you don't know. It's like, I don't know. What is going on? And I've come into situations, even as a minister, it's like, I have no idea what to do with this situation. It just complicated things. You know, how do we get the attention of this person who's stealing from us? You know, what's the why? And it's like, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. I have no idea what to do in this situation. What do I do? You go ask God. You go pray. You see, you get on your knees, and I'm talking about really getting on your knees in your bedroom, and you, you say, God, please, I'm out of answers. I have nothing. And really, we should be doing that anyways because we are out of answers. We have nothing. We have to be filled with the Lord. But the wise in heart will continue. The ideas continue. We will receive commands. We'll receive instruction. So we do what what Solomon has been talking about for 10 chapters, and he said it more than once, you remember, and I've been talking about it a couple weeks, incline your ear to wisdom. Remember, if somebody's in the back of the room, right? If they're talking to me, tell me what's for dinner. It's complicated to hear them when they're just not shouting. You, 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 please get this, because it's complicated. I got to walk back if I'm to hear them when they're speaking with their normal voice. And then when they tell me it's Ugali, it becomes very simplified and understand what's happening for dinner. It's complicated because in my house, we could be having one of 30 things for dinner. We could have rice and we could have, you know, chapatis and all kinds of different things. I may have a 3% chance to guess. You get it? It's complicated. You don't know unless you know, but when you find out the information by inclining your ear, it becomes very simple to know what Ugali is. The, The wise in heart will receive commandments. When we seek after God and after his wisdom and hunger and thirsting after righteousness, knock and the door will be open, ask and you will receive, seek and you shall find, you will receive the direction from God in your life. When you are not hearing from God, that means you are not seeking after him because it's not he who's unfaithful to speak to you. It is you who is unfaithful to listen. We must incline our ear to wisdom. You will receive the commands. You'll receive direction. You'll receive it. You guys ever notice there are certain people in amongst us, there, there are certain people, and, and I'm not saying it's always that person's fault, but there are certain people It's like, every decision they make is messed up. And then over here, there's, there can be people, it's like everything that they do seems to work. I don't think it's because of the different geniuses of people. I really do believe and, and, and I'm not giving, this isn't 100% of the time, but in general saying that they are seeking after God. And God is directing them. The prudent man makes decisions based on the wisdom of God. And he guides them. They don't find themselves, you know, and uh, you, know, you know, they don't find themselves in, fornication because they didn't find themselves on the couch of their girlfriend at 11.30 at night because it was unwise to do it. 
<laughs> I don't know what happened. We fell. You fell, yeah. How'd you fall? Well, it was around midnight, and we were watching, you know, a movie, and uh, we were cuddling on the couch. Well, well uh, you fell? No, no, you made bad decisions. It was unwise. And now you're empty. A pratting fool will fall. You know what pratting? It's just skipping along without consulting with God. His word and his wisdom and his spirit. It's just a pratting fool. They have dare of, of pratting. Is, that's the idea of it. If you, want to, if you want a word picture. Just pratting along. I really do think demeanor can show. Not always. I'm not saying our interpretation, we can get it right. But demeanor can show somebody's heart. I can't tell you how much it annoys me when people change their voices. I can't tell you how much it annoys me when pastors change their voices when they're preaching. Now, I don't care if they shout. I like a good shouting preacher. But when they change the tone in class, you know, in the name of Jesus, or hey, in Kenya. You know, we all do it in our own cultures. Or, you know what else really annoys me when young people are trying to be cool and they're like, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up dog? How you doing, what's up? That is annoying too. That's not who you are. That's not who God created you to be. What are you trying, are you still trying to be like Tupac? Really? I believe the way we walk and the demeanor in which we walk can, I, I, we can misinterpret it, but can show us if you're prideful or not, if you're a pratting fool. Now, I don't want to hyper-spiritualize things and, be, and somebody comes up and say, hey, we're going to lunch. Be like, did you pray about where you should go? No, we, we don't need to do that. But I cannot tell you how many times there's a big decision that somebody needs to make and you're like, you need to pray about that. It's like, no, nah, I don't need to pray about it. Really? How special you are to know everything without praying to God. It's a pratting fool that does that. It's a pratting fool. And when you prat around with your swag, did I say that right? Swag? You fall into ditches. You fall into ditches. You know, ironically, I won't say the person, no one in our church, I have a family member. This is just a side note, because this is funny. I, it has to be said. Before I moved here, I used to work construction. I was building a friary, a house, big house for these two friars. Um, and we did the third floor, but we had cut out a very large hole in the plywood where the stairs were going to go from the third floor all the way to the first. And we had tarped around it and then put a sign that said, hole in the ground, don't walk, and then... Me and Kelsey's dad actually roped it off, but the rope was so, it wasn't even rope, it was like that tape. 
you can walk right through it. Well, I have a family member who was visiting me and the level of arrogant pride that is upon this person's life is unmatched with anybody I've ever met in my entire life other than what I know about my own heart. And his demeanor is very pratting. He walks like this. I'm not kidding you. That's the way he walks through life. And, and you don't know who he is, so I'm not trying to embarrass him. But, or she, him or her. He's on the third floor, climbed up through a ladder. I was on the roof putting shingles in. And I saw him crawl up on the ladder and I was watching him. And I saw him go like this. grab the edge we had to go help him get himself back up it's a 30 foot fall he's going to die I should have said something no I'm kidding you know walk circumspectly know who you are have a demeanor that demonstrates humility you don't need to be walking around, what's up, what's up, what you going to do, what you going to be, who you going to be. When you talk to somebody, look them in the eye. Say please and thank you. Say you appreciate them. Make sure your language speaks in such a way that people walk away thinking you're kind and not some pratting jerk. I believe our demeanor has been spoken about more than once through an implication in the Proverbs. We talked about it a few months ago as well. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will become known. That's scary. We're going to end there. I know I didn't get through the chapter. Forgive me. But that's scary. What will be done in the darkness We need to repent of it, guys, if you're in sin. You need to repent. You need to walk away from your sin. God God can cover sin, but somebody who continually does it, be made known. It's uh, um, he who is righteous is as bold as a lion, but he who is wicked, I I know I'm forgetting, uh, he flees when no man pursues. Isn't it so true? I remember driving down the road one day high on drugs. It was an amphetamine. And I'm driving. And I look and there was, there was a cop not far on the highway in America. And I'm like, he knows. He knows. He knows everything I'm doing right now. And I, I pulled off the road into a grocery store parking lot, Walmart. I must have looked like an idiot. I locked the car and I sprinted. It's like, if, if I got in a race with Usain Bolt, I would have won. And I ran inside Walmart and I stayed in there like a crackhead for two hours looking. At the door, one of the employees, you know, have Walmart, they have the attendants at the door. They're like, sir, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm good. Just waiting for somebody. 
Some of you know what it's like. You know what it's like. Always being paranoid. We got a situation right now out on the land where this guy is not coming and delivering our equipment. Lots of money worth of equipment. He's been lying. I'm com- he's been telling us, and I'm not exaggerating, for two months that he's in town every day. Oh, I'm coming to the job today. Two months straight. Do you know how paranoid his life must be? He's going to have to move out of Kenya eventually if he keeps doing this. You're going to have to go from Kisumu to Eldoret, Eldoret to Nairobi, Nairobi to Kakamehu, Mombasa. Eventually you've got to go to your rural home and then somebody could find you there. If you keep lying and deceiving and cheating and stealing, anytime somebody's paranoid, you could immediately know It's a telltale song. If somebody's walking around paranoid all the time, it's like the lawyer of a mob boss, you know? He's walking around paranoid all the time. But the righteous are secure. They're not hiding from people. Well, one of the great points that the scriptures are talking about is the the filling, the security, the joy, the peace that righteousness gives us. Righteousness is beautiful and righteousness embodied is Jesus Christ. And when we think of righteousness and how beautiful it is, we gaze upon the person of Christ. Um, As we close, I would appreciate you guys to pray. There is a lot going on uh, with our ministry. We're doing the building now. We're starting to build the houses out on the land for the children's homes. We want to build a school out there. We want to build offices. We want to do a soccer pitch, a football pitch. Um, And then one day we would like to get land for our church. So we've been looking for land and there's uh, some things going on. We would just pray, pray and see what the Lord may do. And, and um, I, I hope you pray and I hope you pray for your church. Um, you know, I just remembered, Preston, we got to put this in the announcements this week. We have three guest speakers after this Sunday for three Sundays in a row. So this Sunday I'll preach and then three guest speakers, three different people, three Sundays in a row of friends from the United States. So, um, make sure you come out to church and and see what these guys have to say. That's all I got. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for teaching us the beauty of righteousness, the fulfillment of righteousness, the security of righteousness, the joy of righteousness. Many of us know what it feels like to be empty, to be in darkness, to be paranoid. And may we repent of our sins And walk in righteousness in Jesus' name, amen.